Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London, I'm Josh Noble. Today we're looking at the Hong Kong Jockey Club. The group has enjoyed a gambling monopoly since colonial times, thanks to its donations to good causes. But Hudson Lockett found that it has been overstating its largesse. He spoke to Ravi Matu about what he discovered. Hudson, describe to us what exactly is the Hong Kong Jockey Club and why is it so important to the territory? So the Hong Kong Jockey Club was founded back in 1884 by business magnates and equestrian enthusiasts from the young colony. And over time it evolved into what it is today, which is sort of an elite social club. It's a nexus of business and government interests, just packed with tycoons and Chinese princelings. It's a very lucrative gambling monopoly. It does bookmaking for horse race betting, football betting, as well as lotteries. and. Then it is also the self-styled biggest charitable body in the entire territory. There are a couple of race courses, one in central Hong Kong, one a little bit further out, which it manages. And horse racing is embedded in the fabric of Hong Kong society. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's totally fair to say. And I think it's also fair to say that in a lot of ways, gambling is embedded in society here. In fact, in the late 1920s, the government basically had to face the fact that its ban on all public gambling was not really going to do anything. And so instead, what they did was they sort of flipped and decided to tax betting. But what they did was they restricted bookmaking in such a way that the jockey club came away really as the only legal bookmaker. And so starting from the early 1930s, the jockey club went from a social club to sort of a centralized source of government revenue through the betting duty. And that betting duty makes it, to this day, the single largest taxpayer in Hong Kong. Last year, I think, it accounted for 7% of the total. One of the things about the Hong Kong Jockey Club is in Hong Kong, you see its logo everywhere, right. on museums and art galleries, on centers for the public good, as it were. It disperses a lot of money across the city because a big part of the Jockey Club is about charitable giving. And in your 18-month investigation, you found a discrepancy between how much it says it disperses in charitable donations and what is the reality. Yeah, right. So the crux of the story actually dates back to the 50s. And that was when this sort of handshake agreement was struck between Hong Kong's governor and the then chairman of the Jockey Club. There's only one real account of this that I know of. But in short, the chairman approached the governor who was struggling to cope with this influx of Chinese refugees who were coming from communist China. They were looking to get a little space between them and Mao. At the time, the club's chairman called on the governor and said, well, what if we supplemented government spending with a little bit of our yearly take? And this offer also came around the same time that the governor was trying to push through the first ever rise in the colony's betting duty. And so ever since then, and increasingly as the justification of its role as sort of a tax farm fell by the wayside, the chief justification for its monopoly has become its charity donations. Now, what I found in the course of scrutinizing its books is that the donations, or what it calls donations in its press releases, the number that then gets repeated ad nauseum by local and international press whenever they talk about the club, that figure doesn't qualify as donations under Hong Kong law. In Hong Kong, for something to be considered a donation, money has to actually change hands. So taking last year as an example, the club claimed total charity donations of 7.6 billion Hong Kong dollars. However, when you look at the annual report of its Charities Trust, going by the standard of Hong Kong law, which is money must change hands for a donation to have taken place, there you find that only 
2 billion Hong Kong dollars was donated. How do they explain that difference in the numbers? Because on the face of it, it looks like a big discrepancy. Well, the club's chief executive says that pledges by the jockey club are as good as money spent, since the club has never defaulted on those charitable pledges. But since the charity arm was created in 1959, the gap between what it has pledged and what it has donated, the donations made, has grown to about 20 billion Hong Kong dollars. So that's pledges of about 50 billion versus donations, by my tally, of 30 billion. And as a result, that left the assets in their uh, charities trust, net of donations they expected to pay out within a year, that left those at about 43 billion Hong Kong dollars at a time when income inequality and other measures of poverty are kind of through the roof as are property prices here in Hong Kong. Yeah, so the context matters here, doesn't it? I mean, part of the argument you're making, it seems, is that this is happening in a city where the gap between the uber-rich and the poor or the median is extreme. And so the fact that this organization, which sits at the heart of the Hong Kong elite, is not giving as much money as it says it is, suggests that an organization that has a very good press for being a very benevolent uh, corporate citizen within Hong Kong is maybe less rosy than it would seem. And in addition to all of that, when you do look at where the money that is donated really does go, about one in five dollars over the last decade went to club-run companies that cater to the passions and pastimes of the wealthy. So about 240 million Hong Kong dollars went to its public golf course operator, and then 2.8 billion dollars went to an arts and shopping complex in the city center that's housed in former police headquarters. So the suggestion seems to be that whereas they would argue that they're donating money, dispersing money for the public good, actually where a lot of the funds are going seems to be for the elite who already perhaps have the most money to play with anyways. Well, in fairness to the club, it does distribute a fair amount of money to legitimate causes. But when I asked the head of its charities arm, Leong Cheung, why it did not pay out more money in addition to what it is spending on things like that arts and shopping complex, the public golf course, he only maintained that he wanted to make that arts and shopping complex a world-class establishment, but he didn't answer my broader question. Right. One criticism level at your argument was that, look, you're criticizing an organization which, as you say, does disperse a lot of money, and that actually it's a bit po-faced to criticize them for not giving more when they already give an immense amount. How do you respond to that criticism? Well, I think if your chief justification for holding a monopoly is your charitable giving, it behooves you to be transparent and to fulfill that role to the best of your ability. Now, the club's chief executive says it holds on to so much money, the $43 billion, to be sure it can fulfill its commitments. But experts I spoke to on philanthropic best practices said that the kind of growth that you see in the trust's net assets over the last 30 years makes no sense in light of the amount of regular revenue that is coming in from the jockey club's gambling operations. So your argument then at its root is saying not that this is a rotten organization, but more that it just needs to be more transparent and adhere better to best practice in the philanthropic sector. Yeah, I think that's correct. I think that the impression I got from legislators and other people in the NGO sector with whom I spoke, when they learned about how much money the trust had in reserves, they were quite shocked, frankly. And one of the legislators, Leong Chiang, he's a former anti-corruption investigator, he said he'd never thought about whether the club deserved its monopoly. And 
whether or not it should maintain ultimate discretion over that charity fund, but that after listening to the figures that I had come up with, he said it ought to be open for discussion. Last point, you've spoken about its connections to the elite of Hong Kong. There is a lot of discussion about the increasing role of Beijing in terms of trying to change some systems and processes within Hong Kong. The links between the Jockey Club, the government of Hong Kong, and indeed Beijing, just give us a sense of what you uncovered in terms of those relationships. Well, part of what I did for this story was to compile a database of basically every pledge the Jockey Club made between 1980 and 2017. And out of all of those, the single biggest pledge it has ever made was to fund a 3.4 billion Hong Kong dollar local branch of Beijing's Palace Museum at the request of Carrie Lam, who is the territory's current chief executive, as well as a club member and patron. I mean, there's nothing wrong with donating to causes that are close to government. I mean, what is the particular issue that questions will be raised about in terms of that relationship that you think this points to? In that particular case, critics sort of saw that move as an attempt to curry favor with Beijing, and it came only a couple of years out from the Umbrella Revolution, the student movement that saw protesters occupy the city center's business district in process of China's attempts to exert increasing influence over day-to-day -day life in Hong Kong. Critics were also pretty adamant that the move also highlighted the Charity Trust's other role, which is as a sort of a piggy bank for the pet projects of top officials that wouldn't get approved by the legislature. But on top of all of that, one of the things that I found most interesting from the data was that about a fifth of those pledges were to government bodies, including about 900 million Hong Kong dollars to the Home Affairs Bureau, which is the body tasked with regulating gambling in Hong Kong. And in addition to that, the club itself, not the trust, pays directly into what is called the Ping Wo Fund. Now that's a fund that covers operations at gambling addiction centers here in Hong Kong, the four main ones. So you've got a charity which derives all of its money from a state-sanctioned gambling monopoly, wielding ultimate discretion over grant funding it provides to the very department which oversees its monopoly. So Hudson, it sounds like one of the big concerns is this cozy relationship between the jockey club with the government on which it relies to operate. Hudson Lockett, thanks very much. Thank you. That was Ravi Matu talking to Hudson Lockett in Hong Kong. Thanks for listening. You can find a link to Hudson's story in our show notes. We'll be back with more news tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com forward slash offer.